Why are we here today? To hear Brother Tom blubber? To hear him say something dumb from the pulpit? Hear a corny joke? To get a zinger for the day? Why are we here today? Why are we here? We're here to worship. Worship is one of the five purposes of the church. And when you read with me in the book of Acts chapter 2, verses 37 to 41... I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. And I love this message because it, 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 it uh, plows up the truths that's in this passage of Scripture as the Lord has spoke to me. When they heard this, who was listening? What did they hear? They heard the gospel through Peter's sermon. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was preaching the evangelistic sermon in Acts chapter 2 about the crucifixion, the death, and the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Folks, that's called the gospel. And when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what must we do? Verse 38, Repent, Peter said to them, and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus, the Messiah, for the forgiveness of your sins, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized. and That day about 3,000 people were added to them. There are three things that God is doing in worship. The first thing God is doing in worship is He is calling a people to Himself. If you're using the little outline in the bulletin, write in the word calling. God is calling a people to Himself through worship. You saw it there in the first four, verse, four words of this verse. They heard. They heard God call them to Himself. And until they could repent of their sin and be transformed and be saved, they could not have a worship experience. Jesus said, those who worship the Father worship Him in spirit and in truth. And when they receive salvation, when they receive Christ, they receive the Holy Spirit of God. And God was now living in them, and now they can worship directly to the Father. They didn't have to go through the, through the uh, Holy of Holies in the temple the temple veil had been torn because Christ was out there hanging on the cross. He was the veil of the Holy of Holies hanging on that cross. And the resurrection from that empty tomb is the Holy of Holies. And now wherever God is dwelling in God's people, His holiness dwells there too. And He dwells in you. And because you're sitting there in the pew, you're in a holy spot. Mm, you're in a holy spot. You see, worship is our response to God's call for us to worship Him. God has created every person in the world. No matter where you go, any society has an innate desire to worship something. But He's created us to worship Him and to know Him. Adam experienced that in the Garden of Eden. He and the Father were having sweet conversations in the Garden of Eden. 
And uh, Eve was given to him as a gift. And what sweet conversation they were having with the Lord. And then sin entered into their conversations with each other. And they were separated from one another and separated from God. And God called out, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? That's what God's asking today in worship. Where are you? And Adam tried to blame his wife Eve, and then he tried to blame the serpent Satan. And I mean, just the whole world goes to rot when we sin, and because we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the consequence of sin is we are dismissed from God's paradise, God's will for our life, and we will spend eternity in a place called uh, Satan's hell. When I was reading this passage of Scripture, I was reminded that Linda and I had a little devotion this week, and she told me it was okay to say this. So, And during our devotion, it said in the book of Proverbs, I was thinking about Adam and Eve, you know, Adam blaming Eve for it, and Eve blaming Adam for it, and blaming the serpent for it, and, and the devotion had a reading from the Proverbs. And the, the, the little Scripture in Proverbs, it really does say this, it's better to live in a desert wilderness than to live with a nagging wife. And I said that to Linda, and I said, what do you think? You know what she said to me? When are you leaving? <laughs> In fact, she said it twice, said it so fast, she's one of those quickies like that. Takes me three days to figure out what to say. But she's got it right there. I said, what did you say? <laughs> I do have a garage, and I don't want to sleep in it. God was calling Abraham and said to Abraham, come follow me. I've got a covenant I want to make with you and I'm going to establish a nation. God called Moses out of that burning bush and God said to Moses, uh, uh, take off your shoes, you are on holy ground. God was calling the, apostle, uh, the prophet Isaiah when he was seeking to worship to missions because he was worshiping the Lord. God called the Apostle Paul when he was on that road to Damascus and the Lord spoke to him with a blinding light and he fell down to the ground and he said, Who art thou what? Paul said, Who art, who art thou what? Who art thou what? Lord. That's when he gave his heart to Jesus Christ and that's when Paul truly began to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And when Jesus came... He would just say to the apostles that he was picking out, you come follow me. And they dropped their nets and come follow him to serve him and to worship him as the Lord and Savior. You see, God desires that we have a love relationship with him that will last for eternity. I have come to learn in my life, I have come to learn in my life that God is sovereign and in control whether I recognize it or not. Because he is my God. He created the world, and He is holy, and He is without sin. But I am sinful, and because I am sinful, I am an enemy of God. I am at enmity, the Bible says, and I am separated from God. And the only way I can have fellowship with the holy God is through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who makes me justified so that I can have a relationship with God just as if I had never sinned. That's what justification means. Romans chapter 8 verse 33 says very clearly, God is the one who justifies. I cannot justify myself on the day of judgment in heaven because of what I have done, who I have been, all the good things I've done, all the Bible verses I know, 
uh, all the churches I may have joined, uh, all the good things that I have done for Christ, I am justified because God, through Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection, has forgiven me of my sin when I said, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin, come into my life, take charge of my life, I will follow you. And we follow him every day that we serve. Now, when we don't understand that God's in control of our life, and that God is sovereign and in control ultimately of all that happens in the world and what the world is coming to, our life gets to be kind of miserable. And I'm beginning to confess here even my own sin. I have come to learn that God is sovereign whether I recognize it or not. And I hope that you will be saved today and come to recognize that God wants to be in charge of your life. Linda's part of a ladies' Bible study group, and they were having breakfast at the house this week, this mo on Thursday morning. And one of the nurses, Laura, who works at Norton Women and Children, just said it. She said, when God is controlled, there is peace and calm. When God is in control, there is hope. When God is in control, there is healing. When I fail to believe that God is in control, I flounder in the waves of insecurity and indecision. I fear the future when I doubt that God's in control of the world. And I will exhaust myself, listen carefully, I will exhaust myself trying to unsuccessfully control every word, every relationship, every act, and every outcome in life. That's how I believe I lost my colon. Trying to be in charge of everything. God is calling a people to himself. So that he who loves you and desires a love relationship can have fellowship with you like Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden for all of eternity. And it begins right now when you give your life to Jesus Christ. It continues for the rest of your life as you walk with Jesus as a disciple of the Lord, as you remain faithful unto Him. And so that leads me to the second verse that we see in this passage of Scripture, the second truth. Go ahead and put it on the screen. God is creating a new people for Himself. He's not just calling us to himself. See, when God calls us to himself, that word calling together is where we get the word ecclesia, the church, the assembly, or the assembled ones. Uh, it's where we get the word ecclesiastical, or the word uh, that means uh, something to do with uh, uh, priestly work. God is calling us unto himself. So worship, of all things, reminds me of my sole purpose in life, and my sole purpose in life is to worship the Lord. Now the word for worship in the Bible is also the word serve in the Bible. Look there in verse 37. They were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what must we do? And Peter said, Repent. Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Repentance, forgiveness comes when you repent of your sin. Baptism is the acknowledgement and your public confession that you have been forgiven of sin. He says this promise for you and for your children and for all who are far off. 
God wants everybody to be saved. God has not pre-selected some people for heaven and some people for hell. God wants everybody to be saved. He wants you to be saved. And as I preach this morning, I would hope that every person here has had that salvation experience where you have repented of sin, you've agreed with God that you're a sinner, that's what confession means, and you have professed your faith publicly before the Lord. And if you hadn't done that, today's your day. Because you see, when they did that in this Bible experience right here, that's when God created the church. The church is an assembled ecclesia, assembled group of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter where they are. Uh, they can be inside a building, they can be outside a building, uh, they could be in Afghanistan, and they still are right now. Missionaries are still there by their choice. They go into hazardous places because of their calling of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, missions exist because uh, where worship does not. Did you know that? Missions exist where worship does not. Where people don't know Jesus, where people do not worship Jesus, that's where missions exist. Peter said the church is a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are a people for God's own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You had a salvation experience. Every person that belongs to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is a person that has been born again. You've had a dramatic change in your heart so that Jesus is now the one you follow, the one you serve. He is your Lord. He is in charge. He is sovereign over your life. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Christians, remember that as you go down the road following Jesus the best we can together at Ekron Baptist Church. Once we were caught in unmercy, but now we live under the mercy of Almighty God. Let us be merciful to one another as God has been merciful to us as well. So because Jesus is Lord, and because we are members of the body of Christ, what does worship do for us when we gather together to praise his name and to worship him. Remember, Jesus said, where two or three gather together, I am with them. I am there. God shows up. I hear a lot about uh, a unique thing happened in worship or a Christian experience. And they said, you know, God showed up. God's always been showing up when God's people show up with each other. Do you get that? God always shows up when God's people show up with each other. Because God is in you, the hope of glory. So when I worship the Lord, I get back on track. Um, Rick Warren said one time that he used to think life was like a, a mountaintop and then you go to the valley. Well, you get on this mountain and then the next, you go through that valley. And you've heard it preached on the TV some people can just go from mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop in their Christian experience. Don't ever have to experience any valleys. And then uh, Pastor Rick said, uh, you know, I've come to learn uh, that life is more like a railroad track. It takes both tracks. 
in order to get that train down the road. There it is, right outside by the church. Think about this every time you cross that railroad track. On one side, or one rail of that railroad track, you're experiencing the power of God. You're getting on along down the road, and life is getting better for you, and, and God is blessing you with great blessings. But on the other track, you got challenges. You've you got problems. You've got turmoil. You've got suffering to deal with. God's power and the world's sufferings. God's power and the world's sufferings. It's all the, uh, the same part of the track of discipleship as we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen carefully how the Apostle Paul describes it. He says, In my walk with Jesus, in the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verse 10, In my walk with Jesus, he said, I want to know Him in His fullness. I want to know everything about Jesus I can possibly know. And then he said it like this. I want to know the power of His resurrection. Well, who don't want to live there, right? Resurrection power. Easter morning days every day. Sun shining all the time. Who doesn't want to live like that in the power of the Lord Jesus' resurrection every day? But that's not where Paul ended. He said, I want to know Jesus. I want to know the power of his resurrection. And that's one track. Here's the other side of that railroad track. The fellowship of his suffering. They go together. And whatever track you're on today, it's not a mountaintop that's going to, you know, be that way forever. It's both and. It's not either or. It's always both and. And I praise God today that when I'm leaning on one track or the other, God is not let go of me. He is in charge, and He is sovereign, and He is Lord. One devotional writer I read this week quoted from Isaiah chapter 35, verse 6. Some of you may be kind of leaning tipsy on that track of suffering and hardship and difficult times. And the writer reminded me in Isaiah 35, 6, Water shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in a desert. The writer said, I look for the water in the wilderness. From streams of hope running through the cracked desert of 2020, right in the middle of COVID. I recall the Israelites wandering the desert. My grandparents, I remembered surviving the Great Depression. My uncle surviving Vietnam said God was still present to them and still present to me now. And this is what I found, the writer said. I witnessed new life. Whether it be a baby chicken that was born or a resilience in me to get through what I'm going through. And I discovered again that in the midst of just ordinary life and ordinary circumstances, there's my Jesus. Folks, I've come to learn that when I'm not happy, I need to worship my Jesus. 
I need to put on them songs like uh, Marla just put on. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, hallelujah. And you see, you keep doing like that. And you get your brain off of, oh, me, oh, my. See, you can think about, oh, my Savior, or you can think about, oh, my suffering. You see the difference? And that's why worship is so important for you and for me to stay balanced on this railroad track as we go down through life experiencing Jesus whether it be the power of his resurrection or the fellowship of his suffering life will not get any worse for you hear me hear me life will never get any worse or tougher for you than it did Jesus Okay? And God the Father brought him through it. Just want to let some of that sink in. Well, about ten sermons I threw at you there, isn't it? Five seconds. Last point, please. God is commissioning his people to tell others about himself still today. Look at this passage of scripture. The Bible says in verse 40, with many other words, Peter testified and he strongly urged them saying, be saved, be saved, be saved from this corrupt world, this corrupt generation in which we lived. And they did. And more people got saved because they were sent out by the Holy Spirit of God to tell this good news that Christ is the Messiah, the Christ, the Lord, the Savior of the world, and the only Savior of this world. Now, folks, the world we live in is still perverse. And it will continue to be perverse until Christ returns. There was never a yesterday that's worse than today or better than today. It did not exist. The world will always be corrupt. The world will always be perverse. Why do you think the Apostle Paul kept talking about sexual immorality so often in Scripture? It's over and over and over again. They didn't have porn on the internet back then, but they had porn at these temples where men went to worship a, a little g-god through sex. And that ungodly, worldly kind of worship kept the economy going in those towns in the New Testament world. And that's why Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, this is the will of God for you. Abstain from immorality. It's a perverse world that God has sent us into with go tell the gospel to every home, go to every home with the gospel, but we go. We go because we are commissioned. Jesus said, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore. Do we still have a box that needs to be picked up or are they all out? Got one box left.
who will pick it up, who will contact Vesta and wrote and say, I'll go do this thing. God commissions his people. Folks, church ain't going to die. It may get larger and smaller in some places. It's, it's dying down in America. But the church is not dead. The church is not dead in Afghanistan either. God ain't going to let it die. Remember that song Gloria Gaither wrote? God has always had a people, she wrote. Many a foolish conqueror has made the mistake of thinking that because he had forced the church of Jesus Christ out of sight, he had stilled its voice and snuffed out its life, but God has always had a people. She says, the power current of a rushing river is never diminished because it's forced to flow underground. Do you know where the church is growing the fastest? In the persecuted places of our world, mostly south of the equator. Go take a course in missions and seminary and they'll tell you that. So there's a perverse world around us in Meade County. 89% of the people in Meade County will not be assembled in the house of God for worship today or any given day. We're here to worship the Lord. That worship continues as we go out from here today and serve because they're both the same words. They are both the same words. So today, if you've not yet given your life to Jesus, invited him to come into your heart and your life and become your savior from your sin, please acknowledge that you've always sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death in a place called death and hell. But God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, friend, Christ died for us. The world is not truth. This is truth. And what I just told you was the truth. If we will confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you will confess the Lord Jesus with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? The darkness of sin and this perverse world that we live in. Saved to what? Saved to God's holy, righteous heaven that begins with the Holy Spirit dwelling of the Lord Jesus in you when you pray that prayer to ask Jesus to forgive your sin and come into your heart. Some of you listening to me right now need to come today, right now, as your new pastor, as your new old pastor wrote said. Won't you come? Give it up. Quit trying to impress the people at school. Quit trying to impress your neighbor down the road. Quit trying to be in charge of your life. You must come. He's calling. You come sit on this front pew. We'll counsel and pray with you as you give your life to Jesus. Stand with me with heads bowed and eyes closed.
Father, we thank you for this opportunity in worship today to be made right with you. And I pray as we begin to sing this song here in a minute, that there'll be some boy, some girl, some mother, some dad, some single person, some senior adult, somebody over here, somebody down here, somebody over here, that will simple childlike faith say, it's time to quit playing around. It's time to get serious about worshiping God. Not just coming to church, but knowing the one we worship, Jesus. And may they come right now while we sing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship service of the Ekron Baptist Church. You too can accept the eternal life offered by Jesus Christ. First, admit that you are a sinner. Then believe that Jesus Christ can forgive you of your sins and ask him to come into your heart and change your life. Then confess your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. If you've made this decision today, write to us at the Akron Baptist Church, 2775 Hayesville Road, Akron, Kentucky, 40117. If you're looking for a church home, we invite you to be a part of our growing family with programs and Bible studies for all ages. Join us next Sunday at 11 a.m. for morning worship from the Akron Baptist Church. Until that time, may God bless.